are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is the Batflip Podcast, episode number 62, and uh, we're coming to you on November 23rd, 2021, uh, here on Thanksgiving week, and uh, wish everyone a happy Thanksgiving out there, and um, got a lot of free agency news today, but uh, before we get to that, um, you know, I was going to bring in Damien. And how are you doing today, Damien? I'm doing really well. Just, uh, you know, like you said, getting ready for this Thanksgiving weekend, getting uh, getting ready to stuff myself on Thursday and Friday and Saturday and Sunday with way too much food than I should probably be eating. But, uh, you know, happy Thanksgiving to everyone that's uh, listening to this and, you know, Get ready for uh, some hot stove news because it's been wild and it only seems like it's going to get crazier here before the uh, the last week before the CBA runs out. Yeah, no doubt. There's going to be a rush here in this last week to, uh, to bring in some players right before the CBA ends that, that are wanting to get everything out of the way and be done with it. So uh, we should have a lot of news this week. But to start our, for starters, we do have some deals that happened in the past week. And um, the first one that we're going to talk about is a future Hall of Famer. That uh, made a, his deal at 39 years old, getting a lot of money. Yeah, so Justin Verlander, um, there was a lot of talk about him, about if he was going to re-sign with the Astros or, or the Yankees or, or somewhere else. But he decided to re-sign on a one-year, $25 million deal with the Houston Astros that also has a player option um, for another one-year, $25 million. So in total, it could be a two-year, $50 million deal. Yes, this was a very interesting um, signing for Houston, no doubt. Um, you know, Justin Verlander, obviously, one of the best pitchers of our generation. Um, you know, future Hall of Famer, absolutely surefire future Hall of Famer. Um, you look at his career numbers, a, uh, a 340, I mean, a 333 ERA, 341 FIP, 372 XFIP. Uh, he's put up 72 wins above replacement in his career, and several several seasons of 200 innings he's been very durable but the problem is that that durability ran out in 2020 when he had to have tommy john surgery after one start and obviously this year he didn't pitch at all recovering from that and you know coming back at age 39 from a tommy john surgery is not an easy thing to do that we and we have not seen it very much so um it's gonna be very interesting to see what justin verlander looks like this year um how healthy he is and uh you know if he's ready to go then you know this could be a pretty nice signing but you know we'll we'll see so yeah this deal always made sense for the Astros um you know once they offered him the qualifying offer it was kind of hard seeing any other team really try and commit to Verlander you know with giving up a, a draft pick compensation uh, you know on a pitcher at 39 coming off of Tommy John it, it you just like you said you didn't have any track history of that at all um and even though it, it was so early in 2020 and he'll basically be almost two full years um you know by the time he he pitches again in the, in a major league regular season game he's still going to be on some sort of an, an innings cap this year you know if that's 150 to 160 i mean it, it's good it's just hard to envision that he's going to come out and be able to throw you know that 220 innings again and then be fresh for a postseason run like that that's going to wear you down we, i mean we saw it with a bunch of pitchers this year who would thrown you know 60 to 80 innings last year trying to come back and throw over 200 innings and they wore down as well 
So it's really interesting for Verlander, but I think it, it's a it's a place of comfort. It's a place that already knows him, knows the whole Tommy John history, you know, his whole medical history since the surgery, how he's actually doing, and a place that can be, you know, that can be really easy with him because we've already seen them still make a deep run into the playoffs this year, you know, into the World Series. So they don't need him to be, you know, God tier level to to get that, but it, you know, he still will give them some solid rotation depth or not depth, but a solid piece in that rotation um, for a team that, you know, has lacked that depth ever since he went down, really. Yeah, and, you know, when it comes to Justin Verlander, um, one one little quick fact about him is that since his rookie year, which was back in 2006, um, his, his real rookie year, he, he pitched a little bit in 2005 in the big leagues, but since 2006, he has only failed to eclipse 200 innings one time in 2015 out of seasons that he pitched, and then of course, until 2020 when he went down with the Tommy John. So um, we'll see what he's able to do. Um, and it'll be very interesting. But, you know, I think it made sense for the Astros to bring him back. And it made sense from for his sake to go back to the Astros. So um, it'll be we'll see. We'll see what ends up happening there. Yeah, so we'll move on to our next deal. Um, and it's with the Los Angeles Angels. who We said they were going to need some pitching and stay pretty aggressive in signing Aaron Loop to a two-year, $17 million deal with a third-year option that could – uh, a third-year option with worth $7.5 million as well. Yeah, Aaron Loop is a good pitcher. Um, he's never gotten quite the credit that I think he deserves. Um, you know, he pitched for for what six years in Toronto, um, and his and, and then and then he's you know moved around a little bit. Um, you know, his, this past year pitched with uh, the Mets, and this is a guy that's put up for his careers, put up a 3.05 ERA, which is very respectable. This year he put up an 0.95 ERA, which was a little bit. Um, you know, a little bit in, inflated because of the, you know, he had a, he had a much higher FIP and XFIP, but still uh, did have a great season this year. Um, you know, the best season of his career, uh, a 245 FIP would show that he legitimately was really good. Um, although, you know, maybe not 95.95 ERA good, but um, didn't give up many homers. That was the, really the key to his season this year. Um, his home run per fly ball rate was 2.7. So a lot of weak contact on fly balls. And that's really something that's probably kind of unsustainable, but if he can put up a similar, a similarly good number, um, I think he could definitely have a big year and, and, you know, the angels need relief pitching really badly. That's a spot where they struggled a lot this year, starting and relievers. Um, they were good in the, in the closer role this past year with Rizal Iglesias, but they, weren't very deep in the bullpen and none of their top relievers really were, were left-handed. I mean, they also had, you know, C-Shack in there as a, as a right-handed reliever. And I think Tony Watson was there for a while, was like their top lefty reliever. So um, they definitely needed an Aaron Loop type of guy and that's what they went out and got. So it's a good, good move for them. Yeah. And Loop was always known as one of those guys. that was kind of that lefty specialist. Um, so he never really got much run, but this year, um, you know, since they've really had that three batter minimum, he's proven that he can get both sides of the plate out really well. Um, you know, a 167 against lefties this year, but only a 211 batting average against righties, a 290 on base against righties, a 257 against righties. All the numbers are a little lower due to, from lefties due to that little weird arm angle that, that, you know, sneaks up on lefties kind of comes from behind them a little bit. But like you said, Loop is a, a really good pitcher that he hasn't been given, you know, the, probably the amount of acknowledgement that he should be given for for the type of career he's put up in the major league so far. But really solid deal for the Angels. 
you know, they're still going to need that back end guy. Maybe they can re-sign Rysel. They're still going to need some other, you know, some other pitchers into that rotation slash bullpen. But getting a, a guy like Aaron Loop is a really good start to a to a, your off season of rebuilding that pitching staff. Absolutely, I, I really like the move. Well, let's jump over to another team that re-signed somebody, and that's the San Francisco Giants re-signed starting pitcher Anthony DiSclafani on a three-year, thirty-six million dollar deal. Yeah, Anthony DiSclafani had a very good season this year. Um, he's a guy who who's been a little up and down in his career. He's put up, you know, this is his third season of a sub four ERA, which is pretty nice. But he's also had a a season of a seven twenty two ERA, a season of a four ninety three ERA, and a season of a 405 ERA, but for his career, pretty decent pitcher. Um, you know, for San Francisco, 167 innings this year, 317 ERA, uh, a little bit lower than his peripheral show, but that, that's a great showing for him. Uh, his ground ball rate was at a career high this year, and he also increased his strikeout rate while lowering his walks this year, which all that is just a perfect uh, recipe for success. So, um, did a very good job for them, and I'm not surprised at all that they decided to bring him back and uh, see if you know another year in that San Francisco system can make him even better. Which you know he had a great year this year. Maybe if, maybe in another year he could he could even take another step. So um, definitely a good signing for them, um, and a guy who uh, 31 years old, uh, not an enormous contract, and um, you know it seemed kind of feels about right. So. Yeah, he was a guy who started off the season really strong um, and then kind of started struggling once July happened. You know, in July, he had a 368 ERA and then August, a 593 ERA. September and October, he started, you know, turning it around a little bit more. But, uh, you know, what the Giants are able to do and what they did this year with that pitching staff were, you know, really trying to make a pitcher find what they do well and just stick to that instead of trying to, you know, do what the hitter doesn't do well. Um, it was talked about a, a lot with what Logan Webb was doing, with what Discofani did, with what Gosman was doing. You know, they just let them, you know, focus in on what they do the best and, and take it off from there. And Discofani, you know, he had, like you said, a career year so far, and it will be interesting to see if he can, you know, keep that up these next couple years um, with the San Francisco Giants. And, you know, along with that, what I was just mentioning, Alex Wood is also close on a two-year deal with them um, to return back to the Giants on a deal worth $10 million uh, over $10 million a season. And he was another guy who's been really solid throughout his career and had a really good year with the giants as well. Yeah. So Alex Wood, um, a guy that, um, you know, he's been a pretty solid pitcher for his entire career. Um, you know, he's bounced around a little bit. He, he's got a really weird delivery and has battled some injury issues, probably a little bit related to that delivery, but, um, Started off in Atlanta, was really solid, got traded to the Dodgers where he was also pretty solid, um, had a great year back in 2017. Um, but, you know, injuries really have been what caught up with him. But, I mean, he had a good year in San Francisco this year. Um, you know, he's not a guy you're going to be able to count on to get, you know, 200 innings or even close to that. But he's a guy who you can count on to get, you know, to pitch, you know, 130, 140 innings of really good ball. And, um I think that's what you'll see from Alex Wood in, in 2022, um, regardless of where he's at. And I think that going back to San Francisco is a, a great, great place for him to be. I mean, obviously this year it seemed to work out pretty well, pitched to a, a 138 innings to a 383 ERA. Um, he's just a guy you're going to have to be able to rest enough to, to keep him healthy. And, um, you know, if he does that, I, I definitely think that, you know, being in San Francisco will be, you know, a good, good place for him. So, um, 
I would like I would like that signing for the Giants going into next year. Obviously, depending on you know the prices of it and everything. Yeah, and in the front office, the general manager or president of baseball operations, sorry, uh, Farhan Zaidi, he knows him from his years with the Dodgers. I mean, he was one of the big reasons why the Dodgers traded for Alex Wood. So he has a history with him, and they and they kind of have a good working relationship. So they know what each you know what each other wants and what they need. Um, it, it is going to be fascinating to see if this they do continue or if they do get that deal done, um, and the way the Giants kind of round out this rotation because you know four of their five rotation guys were were free agents this year, so they're also um, in serious talks with Alex Cobb about a potential deal um, that seems to be gaining more momentum the past couple days to happening. Um, they're also in on Stephen Matz, who we'll talk about here in just a little bit. Um, so it you know. One team that, or one player we haven't heard them in as much on is, Go- is Kevin Gossman, who had a great year for them as well. Um, but they are still in on him. They j- we just haven't heard as much rumors around him. And I think he's just not as close to signing as these other guys. But, uh, you know, re-signing Disclafani, getting Wood back. If you do get a guy like a, a Cobb or Mats, you know, that's a pretty good start to your uh, your rotation. Yeah, and Alex Cobb feels like one of those guys that for the San Francisco Giants they could unlock some stuff with uh, in a similar way to what they did this year. He feels kind of like a, maybe a little bit like a Logan Webb type of guy who they could potentially you know change his fastball a little bit and uh, unlock some things. So we'll see what happens there. And obviously, you know, that's a very risky strategy to rely on guys you have to change stuff up with and, 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 and unlock stuff. But that's a, you know, maybe a buy low or by by medium signing that you could end up doing really well with. Yeah, with Cobb, it's just going to be, can he stay healthy? You know, this year, I mean, he hasn't pitched over 100 innings since 2018. And, and this year, I mean, he, with the Angels, he had 93 innings, but he d- battled some wrist and then blister issues. But, you know, if, if they can get him and, and, like you said, unlock something, he could still be a, a really solid arm for them. And it's all going to be about, you know, they're going to go to their bullpen a lot as well. So it's going to be about finding those guys that can go 150 to 160 innings and then just let the bullpen go the rest of the way. So really solid for them there. And if they can pull that off, we'll uh, we'll definitely hit on it as those moves get completed. But let's go ahead and move on to probably our biggest story of the day or of this episode, at least. And that's um, stud, superstar, young shortstop, whatever you want to call him. Wander Franco signs an 11-year, $182 million contract with the Tampa Bay Rays. Has a 12th-year option um, with some bonuses and MVP award finishes that could push the overall deal up to 12 years, $223 million. This deal would buy out five years of his free agency with a possible sixth year. Yeah, now... This is a big time deal uh, on both sides, really, because I mean, if you're Wander Franco, you've played 70 games in the big leagues and gotten 30, 308 plate appearances, and you're getting guaranteed 182 million dollars. So that's a fantastic deal for Wander Franco. I don't, I'm not going to listen to all the dummies that are saying that he should assign this deal. It was terrible or whatever, because he could have gotten, you know, next year he could come out in the, God forbid, in the very first game and tear up his, you know, tear up his knee or something and never play again like so if you're Wander Franco you t- you take this deal it's 182 million dollars it's generational wealth and that's something that is very 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 special for for a 20 year old to come into um and for the Rays this is a I'm, I'm sure the biggest deal they've ever signed I didn't even look up if it was but I'm sure it is and um you're getting a player that I mean this guy what he did this year in only 70 games age 20 was special and the best thing about what he did this year 
was that he played his like his strengths that that people kind of thought of coming up were his strengths. I mean, he he his his plate discipline is probably you know for a young guy, especially a shortstop, is, is as good as we've ever seen. I mean, he put up a 12% strikeout rate, an 8% walk rate in his first ever 70 games of, of his of his career. And you know, which falls right in line with his AAA numbers too from this year. And I mean, his BABIP was a little bit lower than it probably will be in the future as a guy who, you know, in the minor leagues, this this would be lower than any BABIP he hit for in the minor leagues. Um, you know, he's got to grow into more power as he goes and an ability to play, maybe not a plus plus shortstop, but a really solid shortstop and be a really good base runner. This guy is the next superstar. He could end up being the best player in the game. I mean, he's going to challenge for batting titles. I don't know if he's ever going to challenge for like home run titles or anything, but I mean, he's going to be a, he's, he is special already and he's going to just keep getting better. And I think it, this deal is fantastic for the Rays because, uh, you know, this is a guy who, you know, the Rays are a team that a lot of times has had to trade players as a small market team when they get closer to free agency. I mean, we saw it last year with Blake Snell, Hunter Infro, a couple guys, and this is a t- this is a deal that's going to prevent that from from being a necessity because Wander Franco is going there's going to be a lot of surplus value there in my opinion once he gets into his later years of arbitration whereas you might be paying him a little bit more than you typically would be to start off his his deal you know because right now he'd be making the major league minimum next year but you know I'm sure they're giving him a big raise for next year and stuff but buying out those free agent years are going to be able to keep a a, a special talent at home. For, for Tampa Bay, and that's going to be a – that's a very, very, very big deal for them. So great great deal on both sides, and, um, you know, hopefully, you know, Ronder Franco continues to do what he does and, and to get even better, grow into his body a little bit more, get a little bit stronger, hit some more power while keeping everything else intact. And then, you know, for the Rays, um, you know, you've got as good, of, as good of an asset to build around as anybody in the big leagues does right now, so – yeah, and and it's you know it's not a terrible terrible deal because he could still hit free agency at right now you know if that option doesn't get picked up at the age of thirty one and even if that option does get picked up you know he's hitting the market at the age of thirty two and that's where a guy like Marcus Simeon I mean he's right around I think he's thirty two right now and he's on the market and we're talking about him potentially getting a deal over a hundred million dollars again um, you know so if, if Franco goes out and even has what you know kind of Simeon has done. I mean, he could go out and get another hundred million. You're looking at close to three hundred million dollars on on you know your contracts or whatever. Uh, you know, as far as what you were saying is the biggest contract the Rays have um, ever had. The la- the biggest contract they had given out before was uh, six years, a hundred million dollars um, to Longoria. Yeah, that would have pushed his overall deal because um, it was his second extension at the time to ten years, a hundred and thirty six million dollars. And that was, you know, on a second extension for a guy who had already been well established as their franchise corner piece. Um, and so, given a twenty-year-old, hundred and you know, guaranteed one hundred and eighty-two million dollars with a, a potential of two hundred and you know, twenty-three million. I mean, that's a very big deal. Like you said, it's good for both sides. Wander gets an immediate raise right now. I mean, you think the raise could have easily let him make the major league minimum you know, for the next couple years, which is like 950,000 or 700 and 
80,000. It's somewhere right around there. It's under a million dollars. They could have let him make that for three years and then go into arbitration. And he probably would have got $16 million in his second year of arbitration, maybe even into third year of arbitration, just depending on the numbers and, and whatever. I mean, who knows what the CBA even looks like, but he gets, you know, an on average $16 million a year now. So, you know, it's, it's, immediate money for him that for playing at the level he is it gives him some long-term stability it also gives the rays some long-term you know stability as well like you said they've had to trade players a lot um you know as they get closer to free agency because they can't afford to re-sign them this is a very affordable deal and it, you know one thing that was kind of wild is we saw the the 223 million dollars or whatever is just about what the rays payroll has been combined over the last four years so it's it's definitely the Rays committing a lot of money compared to what they're used to. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, we'll see what ends up happening there. But like I said, you know, if you're Wander Franco, I mean, you know, uh, hopefully he goes on to have a fantastic career. But, you know, you could always end up having that jerks and profile career where you just can't, you know, you get injured a few times, can't ever stay healthy. And you turn into a guy who, who had so much potential and never lived up to it just because of, you know, health and not necessarily because he's not good or works hard or whatever, just because of health. And um, this prevents that from limiting how much money you can make in your career. I bet, I bet, I wish, I bet jerks and profile wishes he had signed something like this when he was, you know, right at his big league call up. And, um, you know, I hate, I don't want to make that comparison because I think Wander Franco is going to end up being, you know, a hall of famer one day possibly but um you know that it's just kind of something to think about if it's a, it's a young player signing this deal puts you regardless of buying out some free agent years where you could make a lot of money this puts you in a, a situ- situation of you know generational wealth and that's something that you just can't turn down but um but we'll see how that how it works out obviously it's not, not something that really doesn't change all that much for the coming year or two um you know, around the grand scheme of things, but in the future, I think that's, you know, a big deal. So I uh, like to see that. It absolutely is. Let's go ahead and move on to our next one. And that's with Kendall Graveman signing a, or close to signing a three year, $24 million deal with the Chicago White Sox. Yeah. So the Chicago White Sox, um, uh, had, you know, one of the best bullpens in baseball this year. Um, you know, there's been rumors out there that they might try to trade Kimbrel. So, um, you know, kind of put Liam Hendricks back in that closer role. And if you do trade Kimbrell, you need a right-handed reliever because, you know, you got the lefties and, and Garrett Crochet, who may end up starting next year, and also Aaron Bummer. So, um, and then you got the righty and Hendricks to close, but you probably want a second righty, um, and depending on what they decided with Kopech as a starter or reliever or whatever. So, um, you know, this is a really nice signing for them. It pitched to a 177 ERA this year, really solid. Um, you know, was was at was at uh, Seattle for most of the year, and then got traded to Houston at the deadline. And um, you know, his peripherals didn't quite back up the the crazy ERA, but he definitely his stuff definitely took a step forward. And I think he'll continue to take a step forward. You know, next year maybe not to a 177 ERA, but I you know I think looking at something in the low threes to sub three range is is pretty you know pretty reasonable for Kendall Graveman, and that definitely warrants a pretty nice you know contract like this. So. Um, I definitely like the the pickup of uh, of Kendall Graveman for them, and uh, just adds to what's already a really solid bullpen. Yeah, this was the first year Graveman really committed to being you know a, a full time bullpen arm. He was a, a starter for Oakland mostly, um, even came to Seattle and was trying to be a starter again. Then got went you know got demoted back to the bullpen last year. Um, so 
you know, finally seeing him commit to that, that bullpen role, his fastball velocity jumped up almost like two miles an hour, you know, going into the strictly the bullpen where he doesn't have to worry about saving himself. His strikeout rate jumped up, you know, almost to 10% or 10, you know, 10 strikeouts per nine. His walks are still there, but I mean, with that velocity uptick and just being able to throw, you know, not worrying about maybe throwing your changeup as much. I think he's more being a sinker slider type guy that allowed him to really unlock something. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he can really continue that, you know, over the, you know, there was a lot of talk at the deadline about the, the Mariners, you know, shouldn't have traded him because, you know, the, the clubhouse and the making that run for the postseason. But, you know, now they got Abraham Toro for a full season or for, you know, five or six more years while Graveman is going on in free agency and signing with the White Sox. So, you know, good deal for Graveman. And, and looking back, you know, at the deadline now, you know, Seattle made the right call in doing that, um, in doing that move. But it will be interesting. You know, there is t- the talk about trading Craig Kimbrell. I doubt, I doubt you're going to bring that guy, or, you know, your setup guy in for $18 million. If you could trade him, you know, I was looking today and if you have a Graveman, Hendricks, like a bummer, if Kopech and Crochet stay in the bullpen, and also they still have Ryan Tapera, that is a really good bullpen. And then we've already talked about, you know, Lucas Giolito, Lance Lynn, Dylan Cease. I mean, and if they can re-sign or, or sign another starter, you know, how Carlos Rodon or or around that caliber, and then having that those guys in the bullpen this year for another full season, um, you know, it could be it could be really nasty. And, you know, Kimbrough kind of struggled when once he got over there. But if you can get, you know, kind of good production out of what Graveman gave you gave this season, um, in that White Sox bullpen, that'll be uh, that'll be pretty scary to face in the playoffs. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, we'll see what ends up happening, um, you know, as, as that's a, as, as Kendall Graveman's a guy who I don't think he's quite Kimbrell, but I mean, maybe he's better than Kimbrell was with the White Sox. So yeah. um, definitely interesting. And, and obviously the White Sox have more moves yet to be made. I don't think they really want Dallas Keuchel being in a potential playoff rotation. So um so we'll see what ends up happening there, but definitely interesting stuff. And uh, I, I like the signing for, for the White Sox. Yeah, it's not too bad at all. So let's hit on one more uh, one more signing we have. It's a very minor signing, um, but Jose Quintana signed a one-year, $2 million deal with the, the Pittsburgh Pirates. Yeah, Jose Quintana is a guy who's been really embattled ever since he put up four straight 200-innings uh, seasons where he pitched to a four wins above replacement in all four of those seasons with White Sox. He was traded over to the uh, to the Cubs in the 2017 deadline and just hadn't been the same guy ever since. Uh, his walks went up. His home run per fly ball rate went up a lot. That really had more to do with it, with with the change than the walks did. Um, he actually ended up starting to strike out more guys, but um, you know he just hasn't really been the same guy. Um, battled injuries a lot the last couple of years, and, and this year was a disaster for him. And, and you know when he was with the Angels, um, and then he got traded to the Giants uh, midseason, and just wasn't a, wasn't very good. His walks were high. Um, you know he pitched to a, a you know a, a 6.43 ERA this year, but. Um, you know, there are still some things to like about Jose Quintana. Um, if he can be get healthy and stay healthy this season, um, you know, uh, some of the projection systems still like him to, a you know, a, a round of four ERA. And that's a guy that you could potentially trade at the deadline. So while this is a very under the radar move, it could be an interesting move for the Pirates to, to maybe, you know, cop a prospect off of somebody, you know, around the deadline. If, if Quintana can, can regain a little bit of his form from, 
from his uh, White Sox days, especially, but probably more. You know, if he can pitch to something like he did with a couple of the seasons with the Cubs, he could probably gain get get them something of some kind of value at the deadline. So, and then of course, a super low low risk. If not, I mean, he's it's only two two million dollars for one year. So, um, this is this is really the kind of move that a team like the White Sox, I mean, the, a team like the Pirates needs to make. And uh, obviously, um, you know, they made that move, so that, that, I really like that for the Pirates. Yeah, it's a really solid deal for the Pirates. You know, if Quintana's the same guy, like you said, it's only a, a two million dollar deal. And if he becomes a guy like he was in either one of the Chicago places, I mean, if you can get him back to even what the what the Cubs did, that'll be solid. If you can get him to what the White Sox did, you can get probably a legitimate, you know, maybe bullpen arm for him at the at the deadline or something. It, it's the type of move a Pirates team or, or a Diamondbacks team or you know a uh, and one of these lower teams that are the Orioles that are just not going to be competing this year. And they're just trying to kind of in that rebuild phase that they should, you know, take a risk and, you know, try and trade somebody off for cheap at the deadline. So it is a, it's pretty interesting to see what Quintana can do back going back to the NL central again. So, but uh, we'll basically jump over to the kind of the rumors we have going swirling around. And, you know, one other rumor we got this week was that the Marlins are closing in on a five-year extension with uh, starting pitcher Sandy Alcantara um, for north of $55 million in total. Yeah, so uh, Sandy Alcantara, had a, we talked about him a lot this year, and he had a fantastic season, pitched uh, you know 200 innings, 205 innings, uh, pitched to a 319 ERA. 342 fit 345 x fit so he pitched a, a fantastic uh you know had a fantastic line there um his strikeout rate was up walk rate was down a uh, guy who you know his kind of downfall when he was in the minor leagues and, and coming up was his walks and he, he had a really good walk rate this year so that's a really encouraging sign has great stuff probably his best days are yet to come too and um you know, the Marlins are a team that, that that's kind of a type of guy that they want to build their rotation around. And obviously they've got a lot of other pieces there, like Trevor Rogers, uh, Pablo Lopez. They got pieces coming up in, in Max Mayer and, uh, and and Edward Cabrera, who we saw a little bit this year. But, um, you know, we'll probably see more of him next year. So uh, there's a lot of pieces here. And uh, Alcantara is a guy that they can really build around. And if you can buy him out of a year or two of free agency, that could really help them in the future for another team that probably is going to struggle to, to re-sign big, big money deals with, with free agents. So, um, you know, I, I, I like what a potential, you know, five year, $55 million type deal would be for him. And, uh, you know, if the Marlins could pull that off, it'd be really nice for them and for him as well. So. Yeah, even if it's a you know a five year like seventy million dollar deal, I mean that's still not you know that's still not way too much for Alcantara. Like that is a really solid deal for both sides. If he's giving you the type of production he gave you this year, um, you know one of the big keys behind it the past couple seasons is that his fastball velocity has has jumped over the last three years. You know back in twenty nineteen it was looking at about ninety five, uh, twenty twenty went up to ninety seven, and then in twenty twenty one it jumped up to ninety eight. So it's going to be interesting to see if that keeps upticking as, you know, he's going to enter his age 26 season this year. Uh, But like you said, buying out two years, possible two years of free agency, I think is what it is, Um, you know, on a relatively, you know, decent contract, it'll be worth probably 12 to $13 million in total by the end of it. You know, that's, that's relatively good for a, you know, guy who is a potential ace. I mean, that's, that's a really under the radar signing for the Marlins if they can pull this off. Um, you know, I just look for him to keep getting better because this season was absolutely insane that he had. 
and you know the best is yet to come from sandy i think yeah absolutely i, I really like this so well uh one other little rumor that we had is that steven matz uh was of the blue jays this past year is supposed to sign before thanksgiving um and, and most of it he's supposed to make his decision tomorrow or on wednesday as we are recording this on tuesday uh, there's a bunch of rumors. I think we've heard of over 10 teams in on him. At least eight teams have made a, some sort of a contract offer to him. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see where he picks. They're from all over. I mean, we've heard the Angels, the Giants, the Cubs, the Red Sox, the Mets are trying to get him back, the Blue Jays, the Dodgers. You know, a, a good portion of the league is in on Steven Matz, and, and he's supposed to make his uh, decision before we re- record our next episode. Yeah, Steven Matz is really interesting. Um, he's really only pitched – a, a good season twice in 2016 he pitched fantastic in 22 innings in his rookie year um i mean in 22 games in his rookie year sorry 132 innings with a 340 era um and and a really solid season then he's really struggled since then until 2021 where he pitched uh, 150 innings to a 382 era he's a guy that in the past has struggled with home runs high home run per fly ball rate but he seemed to unlock a little bit this year he cut his walk rate down a little bit uh, and put up his lowest home run per per nine rate since 2016 with the Mets, and um, you know he put up a, a much better ground ball rate than he did in 2020 when he was really bad. So uh, this is a guy who you could probably rely on to give you 150 ish innings of a sub five ERA, you know, probably a sub four and a half ERA, but um, definitely a guy who has a little bit more potential in there if you can you know, continue to unlock what the, what the Blue Jays seem to this year. Um, you know, and he's also a guy that has a little bit of a injury concern as well as he's never eclipsed 160 innings before, you know, in, except in 2019, 160.1 is his career high. So, um, you know, it, he, he's definitely somebody who probably a risky signing if it's a long-term deal. Um, I kind of expect him to get a shorter, shorter deal um, who where a team maybe feels like they could, um, could figure some some more stuff out with him and and boost him to be the pitcher that he really could be if um, you know if he figures it out. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I don't really have a prediction on where he might end up. Um, I think he's a type of guy who who the Giants would do really well with, as we talked about earlier. I, I actually really like that, um, but I, I'm I'm not really sure uh, who else I might might see him go into. But um, I could definitely see him resigning in Toronto. Maybe go to the, maybe I, I don't know. It, it, there's a lot of different places that you could see him. So obviously there's ten teams involved. But. Yeah, I I think I had I had picked him going to the Angels and our other thing. It, it makes a little bit of sense, you know. It with that many teams in, I assume he's at least going to get a two year deal, maybe even a three year deal, um, unless he absolutely is dead set on having a one year deal and, and seeing what the CBA looks like and coming out next year. Um, but you know, a guy like Stephen Matz. I, you know, last year in 20 or this, this year in 2021, it was his first time outside of the Mets organization. First time, you know, with new pitching coaches that are, you know, a whole new scenery around him that he can kind of just reinvent himself. And it seems like, you know, Toronto was able to find something. They did it with Robbie Ray. They, it seems like they did it with Mats as well. You know, a 382 ERA and a 379 FIP. I mean, that's, you know, that's pretty solid. And if you can get that from him every year, I mean, you know, that's a number four to number five starter, you know, legitimately. So it, it will be interesting to see where he goes and if he's able to to keep this. None of his peripherals, like you said, look too much different outside of his walks per nine went down a little bit. 
Um, and the home runs for nine were down a lot, or the home run for fly ball rate is down a lot. But, you know, if if he can just channel part of this and continue that on, I mean, you know, a four ERA guy, it, it's really solid still. And I don't think he's going to be getting anywhere near, a, you know, a 14, $15 million a year. I mean, he's probably going to be close to that 10 to 12 range. And for a number five starter, I mean, that's not, that's not terrible at all. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so moving on, our, our next little rumor here. Actually, this really isn't a rumor. It's more of a fact that actually happened, um, but not a signing. Uh, the, K, um, the Japanese League has posted, or I don't, I don't know what team it was, but they posted Seiya Suzuki, who is a right-handed outfielder, outfield bat, who has drawn a lot of really, really high praise from scouts who believe that he could be a potential uh, major league impact player right away. Um, he's 27 years old. Um, you know, like I say, has a pretty good good outfield back, still bases, has some speed, um, hits for power, and a lot of people really, really, really like his potential in the big leagues. Um, and you know, he's got a lot of a lot of people saying he's probably the best impact bat to come over since, uh, other than Otani, obviously since uh, like a Hideki Matsui. So this could be really interesting to see who might pick him up. Yeah, it is going to be really interesting. You know, he has played some some infield, but very, you know, very little of it. He he profiles more as a right fielder. I, I think they were saying that he has a really strong arm. I think Mike Sosha, who was um, one of the, the scouts or, or one of the people who were coaching against him or something, said that he has a, a really strong arm from right field. Probably if he came in, might be the best arm from right field um, out of anyone that he's seen, you know, it, it is, there's a bunch of different projections out there about the type of guy he can be. And you always have to be kind of mindful about, you know, how the, how the transition for the offense will go from players coming over from Japan um, to the major leagues. Cause the ball's a little bit smaller um, and the pitching's a lot, you know, there's more velocity over here. There's less movement over here. The batting, you know, your batting style and stance and, and, your load up is a lot different timing wise compared to what it is over there. Um, so it is going to be interesting to see how he will able to transition over. Um, there's some people have said that they've compared him to, you know, maybe a AJ Pollock back in his Arizona days where he's a really good defender. He can, uh, you know, put up, like you said, close to 25 home runs. Uh, so it is going to be interesting to see, you know, where he goes, especially if we're going to get a full DH this year. Um, you know, maybe that'll allow some of the national league teams to even look into him a little bit more about potentially, you know, moving one of their outfielders in. It's going to be interesting because of the, the way the CBA or the way the posting system works, you have 30 days from the day you're posted to sign a contract. So if from when he was posted, his day would be December 22nd to sign, but because we have the CBA, you know, shut down looming on December 1st, um, if that lockout does happen, he'll be given the balance of the days after the CBA is resolved. So if he got, you know, nine days before he'd get 21 days after the CBA is resolved, whenever that is um, to sign, or he would have to go back overseas. Yeah. Um, as you know, as we talked about, um, there's going to be um, the market for him. is going to be really weird because of the CBA potential with, you know, he's going to have probably like a week of being posted and then they're going to go into the, you know, lockout most likely unless something drastic changes in the next week or two um and then you know we don't know when he might be able to sign so i'm sure it's probably going to be stressful on him um 
I think some question marks with him, as you said, the, the velocity thing, is he going to be able to hit, you know, fastballs at the big league level? Uh, does he have the bat speed for that? How does he project to that? How long will it take him to adjust to that? And, um, you know, I think there's, there's potential maybe based on his scouting report that, you know, you might get him over here and see that he could play center and that might be a big deal for his market as well. Could, could he potentially play center, which would open up some other teams? I know that, um, you know, kind of the typical players for these, uh, for the Japanese free agents are probably going to be in on him, like like the Mariners. Um, you got the, the Rangers are a player a lot of times for, for these international free agents. And uh, there's been a few teams rumored, like like the Braves, that haven't signed one of these guys in a long time. So um, it's going to be very interesting to see. Um, I think a couple teams, like maybe the Braves, the Mets, the Phillies, you know, might be might change their opinions on this. Probably not the, probably not the Mets because of uh, just not even thinking about Conforto being gone, but um, you know, the Braves and Phillies need somebody who can play center. So that might, might be something that changes their opinions a little bit on him. Um, but we'll see what happens here. Uh, he had a fantastic career and, and one note that you, you mentioned Mike Shosha had talked about him and, and coached against him. That was the Olympics this year. He was the, uh, that's right. Say Suzuki was the gold on the gold medal Japan team. And, uh, and Mike Shosha was the manager of the silver medal win us team. So, um, definitely, uh, definitely interesting there that, you know, having, having him, you know, in that Olympic competition in Tokyo. So, um, we'll see what happens. Obviously, uh, you know, a guy who has a lot of potential and I think a lot of people have said that they think he's probably going to be better than, than, uh, Hyung Sung Kim who came over last year, uh, and, and signed with the Padres. So, um, you know, we, this is a potential, probably a potential better bat than that. So, um, it'll be interesting to see what might happen with him, but you know, buyers beware because it is the Jap- Japanese league and it's been a little inconsistent with, with Japanese hitters coming over from there, uh, in the past. I mean, you've had some hits like Otani, Hideki Matsui, and you've had some misses like, like, you know, potentially looks like Kim is or, um, Shogo Akiyama even. Yeah. Shogo Akiyama, a little bit of a miss. Uh, and, and several of them back in the mid two thousands that, you know, there are a lot of guys you just don't remember their names. So, um, but you know we'll we'll see what happens. I think it'll be very interesting, and I think this guy potentially could be a an impact player. Who if you you know sign him to that contract, you might be able to get him on a pretty good contract because of the risk. But uh, you know it's also possible that he ends up not really being an impact guy. So definitely gonna be interesting. Yeah, I think what's gonna be really interesting about uh, Suzuki is that how much money is he going to sign for? Cause we typically see the guys come over from the Japan league or whatever. They don't sign massive contracts. Um, you know, I think Kim's last year was like what a five for like 30 or something. It was like relatively cheap. And if he's, you know, considered one of the top bats on the market, um, you know, if you're looking at a guy like, you know, maybe Nick Castellanos or Suzuki, if you can get, you know, Castellanos is looking for, 85 to a hundred million dollar deal and you can get Suzuki on a, you know, $50 million deal. I mean, you're going to, you're going to go for that. So it, you know, depending on what kind of contract he is and what that CBA looks like, if he, if there is a, a you know, a DH a universal DH that will really unlock part of the market. I mean, you mentioned even the Braves, like the Mets, the Phillies, probably there's even been rumors that a team like the Reds would even make, you know, try and make a move for, for Suzuki, even though they're trying to cut payroll that they would potentially do it. There's even, you know, I don't know where that would, even, this one would even come from, but there's been talks that the Dodgers are still interested in him. Like, you know, all a bunch of teams are still interested in him because of the potential and, and what that, that contract would, would look like. 
um, you know, based on what international, you know, people coming from Japan usually get on their free agent contracts. So it's really going to be interesting to see, you know, if he's able to work out a deal um, soon or if he has to wait until after that CBA uh, CBA happens. But he's been a guy that has been hyped up for a couple years for sure. But we'll go ahead and move on to our last little story we want to talk about, and that's that uh, Ken Rosenthal reported today that Corey Seager has pretty much the biggest desire out of all the big-name free agents to sign before the CBA expires on December 1st. Yeah, uh, definitely interesting. It sounds like uh, the Dodgers are still involved with wanting to re- bring him back. Uh, and then also the, the Rangers are one of the top teams involved. Um, I think that, you know, obviously for the Rangers purposes, you're looking for that, that impact guy that can come in immediately and be the star that you haven't had um, and, and kind of build around and guy to build around. And then for the Dodgers, obviously, you're trying to add back a player who's been a big part of their success the last few years. Um, so we'll see what happens. I think. Um, you know, obviously that would be in the next eight days because the, because the lockout potentially would be starting on December 1st. So uh, we'll see. Maybe maybe he signs. Maybe he doesn't. Um, I think there's definitely other teams that could end up getting involved last minute. Uh, I, I think the Phillies are a team that, that you know, is probably going to try to go after him. I don't know how much he wants to go there, but they, they want to go after him. I think the Yankees might get involved at the last minute again. Um, I think that, uh, and, and there's some other teams that maybe mystery teams, like, like maybe like a cut the Cubs or somebody that could potentially get involved. So, um, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see what might happen there. Um, I probably would expect him to either, you know, sign with, I, I kind of expect him to sign with the Dodgers or maybe one of those mystery teams. I don't especially expect him to sign with the, um, you know, with, with the Rangers because for Corey Seager, I mean, you know, he's making this choice and, and it might, it might be tough for the Rangers to lure in one of the top, top free agents because their lack of competition for at least another year or two, even with one of them. So, um, I think probably the, you, you probably would have to consider the Dodgers the favorite right now, but that there's three or four other teams that, that are still in there. And I, I would probably bet on the field, but out of every team, probably the Dodgers have the biggest, the highest chance that I would say, but, but maybe the field would be the team. I would probably pick the field over the Dodgers. So, um, but but the Dodgers being the highest chance of any individual team. Yeah, it'll be interesting um, to see. You know, there's there's still a lot of talks. Um, you know, about LA wanting him back. He he even said, you know, he still wants to come back. But most players still say that. Uh, so, you know, if he is going to make a decision in the next week, it, it will be interesting to see. It seems like the market has been pretty hot for him. You know, since free agency and. Um, you know he's going to be probably the biggest free agent off the board at the time, and he seems like he's going to be the fastest one to do it. So, you said the mystery teams like the Cubs. There, there has been some rumors that you know he could potentially, or the Cubs could potentially be interested. But you would feel like that those are going to have to start coming out soon. You know those teams are going to have to start servicing soon if he really does want to decide before this December first deadline. Um, and the, the two big names you're hearing are, are the Rangers and the Dodgers right now. So it would be interesting to see over the next week who of those other teams, you know, kind of surface for him, um, where they, you know, where those are and, and what kind of contract that, you know, he potentially is looking for. We haven't really seen or heard what, you know, what they're even looking for. So, uh, you know, it, it is going to be interesting over this next week or so. And hopefully we, you know, hopefully he has a decision by the time we record next week. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's entirely possible. So. Oh, and uh, one little thing that that is it's not big to you guys as much, but um, the 
non-tender deadline has been moved from December 1st now to the 30th. Um, so that will happen as we record next week will be the non-tender deadline. So we'll have a lot of moves of people who were not offered salary arbitration. And usually there's some uh, there's some shocking names. Like last year, there was Kyle Schwarber. I uh, was one of the shocking names that didn't get uh, didn't get arbitration. So that will uh, that will make for a pretty interesting episode next week. Yeah, for sure. Um, and, and one other little note, um, they announced uh, obviously the awards were announced last week, and uh, they also announced the comeback player of the years, like I think yesterday. And uh, as expected, Buster Posey won for the National League, um, and then the American League was Trey Mancini, um, also as expected, coming off of you know missing a season due to cancer, and then of course Buster Posey coming off a couple injury plague seasons, and then missing the entire entirety of 2020, and then put up one of the better seasons of his career. So uh, just a quick note there, not, not one of the biggest awards out there, but uh, definitely a, definitely a big award. So, yeah, I did hear something. Glad you mentioned that. Cause I wanted to, to mention this. I believe don't fact check me on this, but I believe Buster Posey is the first person to win the comeback player of the year award twice. Cause he won it after he came back from breaking his leg and then he won it this year. Oh really? And, I, I didn't. I, I didn't even realize that. I don't know of anybody else that has ever won the Comeback Player of the Year award twice. So that that is pretty interesting. Uh, but don't fact check me because I could be absolutely it'll wrong be, on that. It'll be interesting when he wins the Comeback Player of the Year again in 2023 when he comes back from retiring. Yeah. So. yeah. <laughs> I think Heyman said something about that too. It was pretty funny, but yeah. But, but uh, you know, congrats on both those players, especially um, you know a Trey Mancini after battling stage three colon cancer. Um, to come back and play at that level he did and, and you know, win that award. It was it was a real, uh, real tearjerker, um, you know, when he was able to come back and the ovation he got and then to see the way he was still playing. Yeah, that's um, really, really, really remarkable for sure. Absolutely. So that's going to wrap up this episode, though, of the Bat Flip Podcast. And uh, thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll catch you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.